Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Gray. This show, Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, began as a calling for me. After four decades of running a small business, I felt I had something to share. I wanted to create a platform for not just me, but other business owners and successful people to pay forward their experiential knowledge in a conversational way. On today's show, as we begin beautiful springtime in Arkansas, you're going to get two guests for the price of one. And they're both talking about gardening. Chris Olson and Janet Carson. My guest today is Arkansas's well-known and beloved master gardener, Miss Janet Carson. Since the year of her graduation from the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville in 1980, she has been working at a breakneck pace to educate and inform the public about agriculture and horticulture in Arkansas. In 2018, Janet retired from her day job at the Cooperative Extension Services, but not from her passion for gardening. It is a pleasure and a privilege to welcome to the table the hardworking, gifted gardener, author, orator, educator, visionary, and now entrepreneur, Miss Janet Carson. Hey, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Let's kind of start at the beginning. Um, It sounds like you always knew you wanted to grow up to be a gardener because your first job out of college was at the Cooperative Extension Office where you worked for 33 years and never changed jobs. That's unusual. 38 and a half years. Oh, pardon me. 38 (laughs) and a half years. And, And that's unusual. Well, you know, when you start college, they say that very few people start and end in the program they start with. And I did that as well. So I guess I don't like change. But I started, (laughs) majored in horticulture. And when I got ready to graduate, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to stay in Little Rock. Um, And so I started putting feelers out. And one of my professors said, Janet, extension needs you. And I said, but I don't want to live anywhere but Little Rock. And I don't want to do anything but horticulture. And so I was hired as the first female agricultural agent in Arkansas. And I was the first horticulture-only agent in Arkansas. So, um, And they hired me for Little Rock. So I had a dream job. You know, I kind of did my own thing. I answered a lot of questions, started doing radio shows, started doing TV, started doing newspaper. And I did that for about 12 years. And then I got my master's degree, and I moved over to the state level. And then I started covering the whole state. So I did that for the rest of my career. And I, I left work at the end of 2018. So you thought if you took a job at the cooperative extension offices that you wouldn't be able to be in Little Rock because it's usually an agricultural position. You thought you'd be out in farm country. Usually when you apply, you don't say, I only want to go to Little Rock. You know, there's 75 counties, so there's positions all over the state. And you apply for extension, and they put you where they think the best fit is. And I put on my application, I only want to go in Little Rock. And so I figured that was a a no-no, but I got hired and the rest is history. Were you a great student? I was a fairly good student. I wouldn't say great. I mean, I made all A's and B's, but, uh, you know, I, I had fun too. Why did they break the mold for you? Why did they, why did they, this 22-year-old A-B student that only wants to live in Little Rock, that comes with a set of rules and wants to work in horticulture, go, okay, let's hire the first woman and put in the first department. What was there special about you? Well, you know, I got to think that 
I was in the right place at the right time and mm. somebody was looking out for me. But um, I've been blessed. You know, I've as far as jobs go, I've only had two interviews my whole career. You know, that first one and I got the job. And then when I decided to go to the state level, I went over and talked with the director and that's it. So, I mean, it was a, a pretty easy ride for me. But I think part of it was I did have very good references with the horticulture department at Fayetteville. Um, one of the, In fact, Teddy Morlock, who's passed away, He was the one who said, Janet, you need to do this. They need this position. And if you think back to the 80s, you know, when I majored in horticulture at Fayetteville, it was a huge department. And my degree was in urban horticulture and landscape design. You know, today there's, I don't know how many students in horticulture. I'm going to guess and say maybe 100 in the whole department. And that may be high. You mean there's less today? Oh, way less. But that was the heyday. I mean, we had hundreds in horticulture then. I mean, our classes were 80 to 100 people. Why why the shift? Well, I think part of it was horticulture was really popular back then. And it is now, but it was um, nurseries were growing, landscaping. Think about landscaping back in the 60s and 70s. You had a few shrubs. You had a few bushes. Think about the number of perennials today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think back to the 50s and 60s, you could find peonies and hostas and daylilies, you know, some irises. Azaleas. And now there's thousands of choices and the industry is booming. But in fact, for, you know, the big trend now in horticulture is grow your own, you know, vegetables, everything about, you know, eating locally and and farmers markets and community gardens. So that trend, in fact, I've been saying now for four or five or six years that we have more vegetable gardens today than we did since the Victory Gardens of World War II because people are growing their own. Let's meet Carrie's other guest on this special edition of Gardening Guests on Up In Your Business. He's the landscape designer Mr. Chris Olson. I call him a lifestyle expert. (laughs) I've been called worse. (laughs) Chris is more than a local gardener in Arkansas. He is a creative businessman with lots of irons in the fire. In addition to his gardening and landscape business in Little Rock Botanica Gardens and his North Little Rock Home and Garden Center, Plantopia, he is a decorator, author, and historic building preservationist. And a wordsmith. I think you made all those words up. <laughs> I make a lot of words up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, preservationist. Chris has saved, preserved, and opened his historical home, the Edgemont House, in North Little Rock, Arkansas, to brides and businesses for public use. So if you look at your life, I noticed, along with working hard, being passionate about plants, I think you're a risk taker. I am a risk taker. Yeah. You started Botanica Gardens. Plantopia became a television personality, lifestyle expert, invested in a large restoration project of the historical Edgemont home. Uh, all of those startups take a lot of guts. When did the seat of entrepreneurship first begin for you? you? You know, I have always been that way. I started in Connecticut when I was a little kid. My dad uh, had a very stressful job. He was a stockbroker and an actuary and all that. So his way to relieve his stress was a garden. So he created our whole backyard was a garden, orchard and everything. So big I took backyard. To, it, we had a big backyard. In I mean, Connecticut, you had a big it, backyard? Yeah, we had a big backyard. Okay. I mean, we used to ride the station wagon picking up bags of grass and leaves to use as mulch in the garden. So I loved it. So he gave me a little patch of land. 
Uh, my grandpa had an old wagon. We painted it green. You're wearing green today, my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew a vegetable garden, and that's how I started. I used to sell vegetables to my neighbors, and then I also had a paper route. And it all started because my dad was under, always never gave, they never gave allowance. You had to earn your money. I mean, I didn't live a bad life. I lived a good life, but nonetheless. You are living in yeah, Connecticut. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so um, I earned my own money and I grew up that nobody owes you anything and you owe no one anything. You work for it. You got, uh, you, you became, that, that instilled an ambition in you to Absolutely. earn stuff. I always worked from the beginning and always enjoy working. You have an innate passion for gardening that was like a lifelong goal did you go to school for horticulture um well i did go to oxford england but i went to architecture landscape design so i did not go to a horticultural school though so you went to oxford england to an architectural landscape Landscape is that like a two-year program yes two-year program is that what you would recommend to other people um, I mean, there's so many great programs here in the United States now, and, and I think we have one locally. So um, it's a great experience because, you know, there you study at actual gardens. You walk through and you learn their philosophies behind it. It's much more than just plant design and plant knowledge. It's really about the principles of design. Then you come back to the U.S. where you learn plant knowledge. I just got it from working in nurseries. And... Um, of course, my dad has a passion for plants, too, so I picked it up from him. And the coolest thing is, is on weekends, when I was a kid, me and my dad would visit nurseries, and he put in a little shells in my window to grow house plants, and, and, he might, and I always made money doing it. So. so how did you end up in Little Rock, Arkansas? Um, well, coming from Connecticut, I moved just a few times. So we moved to Atlanta, Georgia for a year and a half, and then from there, we moved to Little Rock. And we lived in Little Rock for about three and a half years, and then we moved to San Diego. Good night, nurse. <laughs> we kept going west. Why did your daddy, was it all for careers? Uh, he, every time he moved, he got a better, better job. How did Chris Olson's background and childhood compare with Janet Carson's? Let's find out. When you were young, did you garden when you were young? We always had a garden, not a vegetable garden. I grew up in St. Louis. You know, I was a city girl. So you're not from Arkansas? No, I moved here. Well, then how come you wanted to live in Little Rock? I moved here when I was in high school and absolutely hated it. I came from St. Louis. I was in 10th grade. Um, All my friends were getting cars. I had a boyfriend back there, and I moved here to where I didn't know anybody. And, I mean, we moved my entire childhood. My dad was at the telephone company. We moved every two to three years. And it never bothered me because I'm somewhat outgoing. I can talk to a wall. But when you got in high school, you know, that's a little bit – I hated it. And all I said to my dad was – as soon as I'm out of high school, I'm going back to Missouri and I'm going to Mizzou and I'm never staying here. And then by the junior year, senior year of high school, things started clicking. I visited colleges all over. My sister went to Baylor and I looked at that, but they didn't have horticulture. They had botany, but they didn't have horticulture. And I looked at Southwestern and they didn't have horticulture and I went to Fay and I loved it. And so, and now I am the biggest proponent of Little Rock that there is. I think Arkansas is one of the best kept secrets and Little Rock even more. So I wouldn't live anywhere else. I was, I, it's wonderful. And you know, my husband is native, born and raised. When we first got married, he said, well, Janet, I think we ought to move. And I said, well, I don't think so. I've moved enough in my lifetime. I don't, I love it here. 
you know, hearing that your dad traveled a lot and you were uprooted and moved around and had to make friends over and over and over, I think that's why you're so likable. You see that all the time, and people that are extremely likable have learned how to make friends and get along with people because they've moved and moved and moved and moved because everybody likes you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You've retired. I have. What's it like after life you know, after I thought that? I would like it. I didn't know I would love it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really do. It's fun. And my daughter said, you know, Mom, I thought retired people stayed home. And I don't. You know, I'm able. But I said, no, you get to do what you want to do. You know, you're not tied to a, a schedule. And, you know, I used to live by a calendar. You know, if I lost that calendar, we were in trouble. But, you know, now I can get up. I mean, I still get up at six every morning, mm. but um, I have time to spend in my own garden. I've done a lot of trips just for myself. You know, it was funny. We went, a friend and I were going to go where it was warm in February, our first girls' trip. So we chose Phoenix. It was freezing and it rained the whole time we were there. <laughs> then I went to the beach. Same thing, cold and wet in March. So, but we did, we hit a home run with England. We had great weather over there. What do you get the most asked about? in arkansas pests fertilizers i would say the number one question is pruning and the number one plant pruning is pruning crepe myrtles you know and the funny thing i did the radio show for 28 years at the call-in show on saturdays and this lady called in and a lot of the calls were the same every week you know it would be something similar or very seasonal or cyclic and so this lady called in and she said i've been listening to you since you were janet bierman so before i got married and she said but i have never heard this question so we were thinking here comes a doozy and she said when do you prune crepe myrtles? <laughs> Which was the number one question. And, and Russ, we, fell out, we all fell out because, you know, everybody knew the answer to that. My husband, who is not a gardener, could tell you how to prune a crepe myrtle. But it really made me realize that until it's your question, you don't listen to the answer. You know, you may be listening to the radio show and listening to those things and reading my columns but you just kind of read it until it pertains to you. So you can be as repetitious as you want to be. Well, they say you have to repeat things three times before it really sinks in. But again, if you don't have a crepe myrtle, why are you paying attention? Mm-hmm. You know, it's in general information. Mm-hmm. But once you have one, then all of a sudden, oh, it's important. What about pesticides? They're always in the news. Well, and I think there's a lot of bad information out there. I think there's some very good pesticides now I don't use a lot of pesticides in my garden, but I do use them occasionally. I don't use anything in the vegetable garden, but I think you've got to feel comfortable. And I think if you use the right product for the right pest, but at the right time and at the right amount, you're going to be fine. You know, they say, especially farmers, they're really using the least amount of pesticides they can because pesticides is money, and that's hitting the bottom line. Mm. Homeowners actually probably overdo because, you know, you hear if a little bit's good, a lot's going to be better. And so you may look at that rate and say, well, if it says to use a teaspoon, I'm going to use a tablespoon. And so when you use products in the wrong way, you're doing damage. And I think that happens all the time. Um, I also think that if you're out there spraying, like right now, everybody's worried about mosquitoes because Mm -hmm. we've had all this water Mm -hmm. and it's standing and we've got a lot of mosquitoes so those mosquito companies are really coming in and they're spraying the whole yard well it's not just killing the mosquitoes we're going to hit our our beneficials as well our bees and butterflies so i think we have to find what we're comfortable with i don't think one person can say this is the only way to garden because gardening is not an exact science but i think you have to do what's comfortable for you but 
good for the environment as well. Number one mistake home gardeners make? Probably overdoing. Mm, that's um, what you said. Yeah, too much of anything. I absolutely am guilty of that. Well, and fertilizer. I had one of my favorite stories, some good friends of my parents, they're long gone, but um, he retired before his wife did. And she had always fertilized the yard. And he thought he would surprise her. And he found these bags of ammonium nitrate, which no home gardener should ever, ever use. But he saw them in the garage and he thought, I'm going to surprise her. And he took all those bags of fertilizer and dumped them on the yard. It looked like it had snowed. Everything died. Oh my you know, plants gosh. don't get fat. They burn up. And so I think, you know, common oh sense should gosh. come in a little bit, too. But um, And make sure you have separate sprayers for insecticides and fungicides and herbicides if you're going to use them. Taking advantage of the opportunity to ask gardening tips from these two experts, now some questions for Chris Olson. Changing for the season is a lot of work. Knowing when to prune, when to fertilize, it's tricky business. Mm-hmm. I just burnt a plant up in my house during with Miracle Grow this past winter. Which means you got to buy a new one now, right? Oh, see, it's not always a bad thing. What a business owner, <laughs> right there. Um, but pruning is tricky because you can cut the blood, the buds off, the flowers yeah. off. So, how do you recommend people? keep up with that you have gardening calendar um well yes i mean and of course we have the website now what you know i mean not the website but the internet which gives you a lot of month to month you know hints and things to do but there's a general rule so when it comes to pruning usually if it's a spring bloomer an azalea anything that blooms in the spring you normally prune it after it blooms and starts to flush out never before and usually you stop pruning that in july because if you, if you do that and you trim them back in July, they still have a month or two to grow back and they'll, they'll bloom off of that growth. But if you bloom them too late in the season, and since they bloom on new wood and new growth, then you sacrifice the flowers. That's so you, the general rule. So spring flowers. After they bloom and flush out. Only put flowers on new growth. Most do. Some Most bloom do. on, they have new hybrids now that do what both. What about but. winter? What about all my hollies and... Oh, well, because that's what everybody's doing sure, right now. Sure. I mean, you can prune those in the south majority at any time of the year. Just don't prune them heavily in the wintertime, because if you remember, it's an evergreen hollies and they produce what food with the green leaves. If you cut them way back, there's no way for them to produce any food because they're not going to flush out for a couple months and a plant can starve that way. So the general rule is you can prune them lightly, but not too heavy. So my red tip fatine. Is no, no, my, uh, what's the, Nandinas that I have. Yes. Those I think you have to prune right now because they put their berries on. Yes, correct. You would sacrifice, but they, once they bloom, if you trim them before that, then they don't have berries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's spring. What should we all be doing right now? This is the time to get your yards ready. I mean, you should have, by now, cut your liriope back myrtles back it's not too late for some things and this is the time to clean out the leaves and rebark your beds before everything flushes out like crazy it's easier to to rebark before plants flush out oh so we should be cleaning our oh, beds yeah. putting yeah. down new bark why is bark so good for gardens um, it's it's organic it rots so it really does condition a bed it does two things it does a couple things first of all it conditions the soil over time that's why you want to mulch it every year because it rots Put it on thick. We put it on th- at least three inches thick because if you put it on light, it's going to be gone in a couple months with all of our humidity and rain. Uh, it also keeps weeds at bay because it smothers uh, weeds out and seeds. Weed seeds germinate with light, and if you bury them under mulch, they won't germinate at all. 
you know, and it conserves moisture. It really does cut down on watering. Is there a mulch that you prefer? Yeah. Or which one? Um, there's hardwood mulch, and there's double hammered and single hammered and so on. Uh, a Plantopa, we sell one that's a single hammered, but it's not too chunky, but it's not too fine. A lot of people like fine mulch, but if it's already really fine, it's going to rot very quickly. So And it washes very quickly. So you want something with a little bit more chunk to it. And that's single hammered mulch. Single hardwood. hammered. What's that mean? Is that cedar? They, what is that? They, they, they churn it at the lumber yards. They turn it once or twice, which means that it's still chunky and it's not fine. The more they churn it in there, whatever you call the we things. We used to all get cedar mulch. You can't hardly find that uh, anymore. You can find it somewhere. It just costs more. Why did we quit using cedar mulch? I thought that kind of uh, chased bugs away also. Well, there's, there's some truth to that and there's some myth to that people think hardwood mulch actually brings insects and stuff like that any organic matter can even cedar mulch but i think it's more the cost and the availability of it yeah, hardwood mulch is much more available from lumber yards is cedar in uh is it is it threatened or something i mean we run um, out of cedar trees i don't know if it's i don't know i really think it's cost if you need 12 yards of mulch you're going to go for the cheaper one mm-hmm. saves money so my husband's going to be mad about this question because he's a grass man, but are grass yards passe? No, you know, I, I, my other house, I had no lawn. That was only because I had too many trees, but this house, I have a much bigger lawn. No, no, the lawns are coming back. You know, if it's just takes a lot of watering, of course, that doesn't matter in Arkansas. You know, technically a lawn is less maintenance than a flower bed because really? you just mow it. You know, as beds, you have to weed it all the time. You have to mulch them. You have to trim what's in it. And in a lawn, it can be less maintenance. If you have a chemical program, don't have weeds in it, it's less maintenance. So I had a chemical program for my husband, St. Augustine. And it and we put this, uh, but a broadleaf that, that uh, kill a weed killer, broadleaf weed killer, ended up killing the trees. You know, there, there, you have to be very careful with chemicals. There is what's called chemical drift. So if you, in, in the fumes of it, which can injure plants, like we've had clients' houses last year for, for some reason, we had a lot of clients whose plants were mutated. Their oak trees were mutated. Everything around the, all the bushes around the trees were mutated. What do you mean mutated? The leaves curled up. Oh. And some, you can tell something was wrong and they're defoliated. And majority of the time, that's a chemical drift. Somewhere a neighbor sprayed or a chemical company sprayed and it drifted in the wind. And it can be very toxic to other plants if it's not applied correctly. Well, I went to the uh, extension office and found out that trees are broadleaf. And that when you put down a broadleaf, killer in your yard over and over and over you end up killing your trees yeah how far out should you mulch your tree to kind of prevent that from happening Um, in the best world you should come out about five foot or so you know to the tree line to the tree drip line of a tree that's ideally would be the best but that would be big tree rings it's all how it's applied when it's applied if it's applied correcting what you apply so for me technically I think it's better to hire a professional company to spray than for you to do it yourself. Because for me, I don't like to deal with chemicals. I just don't. We need them, but I don't like to touch them. Do you, uh, what do you get asked about the most? Growing marijuana. 
No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I have been asked that, though. I didn't expect that. I had, like, bees, chickens, flower garden, vegetable garden, marijuana garden. Oh, what would be the... Oh, God, that's a, that's a good question. Probably most what plants provide the most color and what kind of color combos look the best. Okay, what? Uh, everyone has a different flavor, but I believe that at, if you add three colors together, like with seasonal color, it, it complements each other and brings out more color. If you start to go too much beyond that, it looks confusing to the eye. More than three. Don't mm -hmm. do more than three. Well, you can. I mean, but, I, I'm addicted to plants, so I love color. But usually when I design, yeah, a certain area, I try to stick with three colors. And do you like for, let's say, for spring, what's your favorite color for spring? It's hard to limit myself to three. Color. Give me three. Well, of course, yellow is one of my favorite colors. It's it, for summer. Yeah, for I love spring. Orange, orange for summer. You know, I love hot oranges and stuff for summer. I like rich, hard, you know, intense colors for summer, and more pastel-y stuff. You know, soft colors for the springtime. I love pinks. You know, I know I love pink. That's a guy color now too, and that's and all so I, I want to plant is pink and purple. I, I really do love pinks. I don't like red in the summer; it makes me hot. You know, red is not one of my favorite colors when it comes to plants, and I didn't think about it just now. I don't really buy many red plants. I don't like red pansies. I think they're dull. They don't have a lot of. They're not vibrant. So I always add yellow because yellow is the one color that seems to complement all of the colors. Oh, interesting. It really highlights everything. So I would have never thought to put yellow and pink, but I bet yellow, pink, and purple would be really pretty. Beautiful. Well, because I, purple yeah. and yellow are lovely together. I think yellow is the first color your eyes attracted to. Really? You notice it. That's why I use it in commercial properties because it brings people into their signage. And if it brings them to the signage, maybe they're going to rent an apartment. If they rent an apartment, what are they going to do? Spend more money on landscaping. So it all works out. <laughs> He's always thinking. He, do you prefer plants in pots or in the ground? Because you use a lot of pots. And what do you think about that? Um, both. I love, I love containers. I like big pots. Because the larger the pot, the less maintenance it usually is. Because the less water you have to do, the better the plants do. Oh. And I shove and cram my pots full of plants. In and a big pot. Oh, yeah. Bigger the better. That's what they always say. It's true. What's the number one mistake home gardeners make? Uh, watering, probably. Over or under? Uh, both. You know, the, the problem is, here's what happens. They can't read a plant. You have to read a plant. So if it's wilting, what do you do? You water it. And then what, if it's still wilting, you water it again. And then still you water it. Well, you, then it's drowning. Yeah. So if a plant doesn't pop up and still wilt and it's overwatered, and once a plant is, is overwatered, what happens is the root system is suffocating. Once a plant starts to suffocate, it usually never will rebound. But if it dries out, and not not too bad, but dries out, it usually can rebound. So you rather underwater than overwater. Interesting. So I water my house plants once a week, except for the orchid. I do I the, order I do the it same once thing once a month. Week. I order that orchid and the Christmas cactus once a month and then everything else once a week. It, it comes with time. So all my Sunday is my chore day. So Sundays I water my, all my plants. It takes me like two hours to water my inside. I got a lot of plants, but I can read them. If it looks moist, I might just give it a little bit of water. But then, you know, you have other house plants that dry out every week and you have to give them more. So you just have to watch what they're telling you. If they're starting to defoliate and they're dry too much, they're stressing too much, you need to water it more. That is so true. Some people 
cannot read a plant at all. Not at all. Is and some there, people are intimidated by it. So we have moisture meters. It's great. You stick it in there. It tells you if it's dry, moist, or wet. Oh. It helps out a lot of people. Uh, climate change. Is there anything we're doing different lately? I can tell you, you know, so many people say or don't believe in climate change. Uh-huh. And, and I can't say, you know, scientifically. But I remember when I first moved to Arkansas in 92, I couldn't wear shorts usually past mid-October because it really started freezing frost. Now I wear it almost to mid to end of November, so something has changed. Well, it's so wet this season, and it's been so wet for so many, every every it's, year it's, yes. been, it's been really, really wet. You know, it's hard for me in my business because when it's cloudy and rainy, they don't come shopping. But I look at it this way. i much rather have us have too much water than too little water. So you're not ch- changing anything about the way you're doing business based on the the. Have, has our zone changed? Has Arkansas's uh, you know, planting zone they, changed? We're seven, and we're kind of like seven and a half here. They changed it one time to eight, and they brought it back down. You know, so I uh, eight well, being warmer. Yeah, what has happened is this is what has changed. Everything comes in earlier now. You never bought until mid-April. That was the way it is. And that that changed not only because of the weather, but then you have all these discount stores, and everyone's trying to push plants out to get to get the market share in the beginning. It's like mm-hmm. Christmas. It mm-hmm. starts in July now. And, well, re- technically our last date of frost in central Arkansas is historically April 15th. But everything is getting earlier. We're pushing it a little too much. And we have to push it because everybody else is pushing it. Can we put our plants out on the porch now? Um, if it's a covered porch, yes. I think we're okay. But there is always that chance. We may have a frost, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to be a low ground Grandmother frost. always said never plant before Easter, and Easter is always based around the moon, so it changes. She might know something. She might know. Grandmother also but said. no one's listening to Grandma right now. Nobody <laughs> listens to Grandmothers anymore. You know, here's something else you might disagree with. Uh, grandmother used to say that when you plant a plant in the ground, that you should always fill the hole with water to help with shock. Um, I don't do that, because you can also drown a plant, mm-hmm. but I do believe that you need to water a plant thoroughly, and I use what's called a root hormone B1, a root stimulator, uh-huh. which helps heal the roots and gives them nutrients, etc., for a plant to really rebound fast. Oh, it's root stimulator. That's good stuff. Yeah. We'll be back with the second half of the show in just a minute. This is a special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, featuring gardening professionals Chris Olson and Janet Carson. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she launched the business website, flagandbanner.com, became an early blogger in 2004, founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom in 2009, began distributing a biannual publication called Brave Magazine in 2014, and today she's branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. Each week, you'll hear her engage in candid conversations with her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting, educational, and motivational. Stay informed about upcoming guests by subscribing to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel. Join our email list at flagandbanner.com and receive our very popular, all-inclusive Water Cooler Weekly update. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, the flagandbanner.com 
back on this special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy featuring professional gardeners Janet Carson and Chris Olson. Of course, they do a lot more than gardening tips. Let's check in again with Janet Carson. Let's talk about the Master Gardener uh, program that you started. You were had only been at the Cooperative Extension offices for five years when you went to Tulsa. Right. We went, and actually the, the program, the Master Gardener program started back in 1972 in Washington State. And the gentleman who founded it is still living and he still travels around and talks to groups. But uh, he was in a county extension office and they were getting a ton of consumer horticulture calls. And he said, we need some help. And so he said, I think we can train some some good volunteers to help us out. And his boss said, help us do what? Answer the phones? Answer the phones and, and help do community service and outreach. And uh, he's, his boss has said, oh, it'll never work. And here we are, you know, this many years later. And now it's in every state in the United States. There's one state that it's not through the land-grant college, but every other state it's through the land-grant college. Massachusetts, it's through a botanical garden, but it's also in provinces in Canada and now South Korea as well. Wow. So Tulsa had a program. Miss, I mean, Oklahoma did not have a program, but Tulsa had a program. And so four of us went over to visit to see if it was something that would be feasible. When you were in your 20s. Um, I was actually uh, 28, I guess, when we went over there and looked. And cause I was 30 when we started it. And uh, we went over there and we decided to, it would work. We came back and we kind of put together the book, borrowed bits and pieces from other states, and we offered the class in 1988 for four counties. It was Pulaski, Celine, Jefferson, and Garland County. You put together a book, like an educational book? They get a huge notebook, but we borrowed from other states and put it together to get it done as quickly as we did. And so we had them out at the 4-H Center. We charged them only $25 to take the class. And so each of our four counties was supposed to take 10 people. Well, I put something in the newspaper in my column 78 people applied for that first class for pulaski county so they let me take 20 people instead of 10 everybody else and some of them didn't even get their 10 so we had about 45 people that took that original class back in 1988 and then after that, we started having our program in Pulaski County by itself. The second year, I had 150 apply. I mean, it was really, really rocking. I mean, people would send in resumes with their application and references of who I could call that could let me know they're a great gardener. And, you know, I didn't care if they were a great gardener. You can teach people horticulture. What was most important for me when I interviewed people to see if they understood what they were getting into was the volunteer commitment because that was what I was building was a volunteer base. And it was all about, you know, I didn't want them to just come in. The carrot was the education. Yeah. But if all they wanted was the education and they weren't planning to pay back any volunteer service, that really wasn't a good investment for and me. And the volunteer piece that you wanted and that the original man who started the program wanted was because you need people to go out into the field and look at stuff. You need people to answer the phones. You need people to go out in the field and... Well, each county actually bases it on their needs. You know, we have 75 counties in Arkansas, 67 have the program. And each county is going to be different based on their population, their, the calls that come in. When I started in Pulaski County in 1980, there were five ag agents. And so each of us had a phone day. Even though I was the horticulture agent, we had another uh, gentleman who was a commercial horticulture agent, but I was all any kind of horticulture. And so we each had a day on the phone. Well, over time, people started retiring, but extension started downsizing. So from 1980 to 1992, we went from five ag agents to two. 
phone calls did not stop. And, you know, I couldn't get anything done if I was in the office. My record was 158 calls in one day. And, you know, people brought plant samples in for identification for diseases or insects, and it was just overwhelming. So in Pulaski County, and we were the only county that mandated this, but to begin with, you have to pay back 40 hours of volunteer service in a year, which and, is not and hard. And that's mostly phone work. Then. Well, and for us, 20 of those 40 had to be answering the phone. So we had a horticulture hotline on Thursdays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. And so, but we only had 20 people. So, you know, and we only did it during the gardening season. So late March to early September, mid-October, we would cut it off. But now they have people in the office every day helping. How long does it take to become a master gardener? It's a 40-hour class, so it's usually five weeks. Now, we did offer, and we started something new two years ago, so this coming January will be the third year, is an online class so that people who work or uh, can't take off during the day to come to a a 40-hour class can actually do it at their own pace, and they have three months to do it. So it starts January 1st or January 2nd, and then it ends uh, March People 31st. People that work will be hard to come man the phone and do volunteer hours. Well, though. but it's not mandated to do the phone anymore. Um, they have so many projects. You know, Pulaski County alone has over 500 Master Gardener volunteers now. So they have 25 projects across the county. Is it, and, and so some of them are taking care of Oh, a lot of them are doing beautiful. Gardens. Well, there's things like there's plant therapy programs at Baptist Rehab Hospital. Oh, really? There are school gardens. There's a community garden out at the 4-H Center that's a demonstration garden that they're going to use it with the 4-H kids. They're teaching them how to, you know, how people, they have beehives, they have compost bins, they have vegetables and flowers and fruit. Um, the old state house was the original project in Little Rock, and it's still a master gardener project today. We also used to have a vegetable garden at the zoo. That was our second project in Arkansas. Um, when we had some interesting pest problems, we had wallabies that would get loose and come eat our vegetables. Or, uh, <laughs> But the produce that we grew actually was used to feed the animals at the zoo. And then the governor's mansion. The governor's mansion, they'd have the, the herb garden, vegetable garden there as well. Um, so there's lots of the old mill in North Little Rock, the community center in Jacksonville, um, so they try to have a project in all parts of the counties that they're in. That's the well-known Janet Carson on this special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We have another guest featured on today's show, and Carrie McCoy reintroduces him now and then talks about a current project. I'm speaking today with Mr. Chris Olson, owner of the historic Edgemont Home and founder of Botanica Gardens and Plantopia Home and Garden Center in Central Arkansas. He's a lifestyle specialist. Now... First, before we move on to this question, I want to preface this next segment by telling our listeners that you bought the vacated 1927 Edgemont home on Skyline Drive in the historic Park Hill neighborhood in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and that the style of the architecture is Spanish colonial. Let's start with the home's history. Can you tell us about it? Um, well, it was built in, in 1927. It was Justin Matthews Jr.'s home, personal home. And they actually start at my neighborhood in Park Hill, which was called Edgemont. And that's why the house was called Justin Matthews Jr., which it still is, but I call it the Edgemont House. That's just oh. my short term for it. Um, and uh, because of the history of the neighborhood. And, and Edgemont neighborhood was to rival Edge Hill neighborhood in Little Rock? Well, it, yes. Well, the street in Little Rock is Edge, Edge Hill. Hill. So Edgemont 
was a uh, supposed to be wealthy or wealthy street. So, and they were trying to bring that to North Little Rock. Of course, when they built the house, my house was the first house built in the neighborhood. One of the first houses built in the neighborhood. And um, of course, soon afterwards, the depression came and that changed everything in the neighborhood. Did they lose their home? They lost their home. The house has been foreclosed on several times. How many owners has it had? I'm the ninth owner. Is, did you worry about that? Well, some neighbors call it the white elephant because three people have died in the house, including Yikes. the last owner. And all of them young. One was 23, one was in their 50s, and the other in the 40s. So, Are you checking your pulse every uh, day? You know, I mean, your well, here's the funny thing. When I start working on the house, you're talking about stress. I had a major colon infection. What's the doctor said, you have too much stress. And that's when I learned to reduce my stress. And I thought, oh my God, because I never get sick. It is happening. <laughs> but since then, everything's been good. Have you had anybody come in with like a priest come in? No. Have, why not? But, you know, I, when I was so busy, I, I was one. so busy with work in the house, I never thought about the deaths in the house being haunted. And people always ha- tell me uh, the house is haunted until I almost moved in. And then it dawned on me, what if... Well, I can't afford to move now. I put too much into the house. So I had a slumber party the first night because I was not going to live in the house, sleep in the house alone the first night. And the house is very quiet. There is nothing that gives me that vibe. That's nice. But just to get, if there is any juju, you said you took your mother over there. I took my mom over there in the very beginning before I bought it. And she said, she looked at me and she goes, no, no. And, and I said, well, mom says, no. And it, it just would ponder. I love the house I lived in before I built it. It just pondered my mind. And I knew I would move. Only I knew because a house would find me. Because it wasn't for sale. It just pondered me. And I had Absolutely. to have it. And somehow, it, God's will, everything worked out the way it was supposed to be. So you ended up moving. I, uh, I bought it in June of 2016 it took months to negotiate with the daughters i almost backed out and then it all worked out and then i moved in october 2016 we did a massive renovation with my guys from botanica after hours what's the first thing you did first thing we did well the outside was the worst of the house because the house has no eaves it had no gutters for 20 something years so the water ran down the house so we had to rebuild the majority of the windows oh so we started on the outside first to get it dry and then we moved on the inside. I was surprised you didn't keep the front doors awning. Uh, that wasn't there. There was no front door awning. Oh. Now, I have pictures from the 60s. That I saw yes. online. Now, if there used to be lanterns and everything in front, all that was gone. There was no light fixtures except for one broken lantern at the front door. You used to entertain in your other house. Yeah, all the time. And you ha- and I, before the show, I just tripped across a uh, inter- uh, uh, web uh video you did of taking people touring through your house and you had you entertained there yeah i was only two thousand square foot it was in west little rock and i did bus tours and everything i didn't do weddings or anything like that but i did bus tours for people to come see your two thousand square foot home yeah well it was the yard it was amazing because you wouldn't when you came down you, you drive through my neighborhood and you think does chris live here because it's just a regular neighborhood and then you're in a cul-de-sac and my house was hidden all you could see was one garage door and no one knew where they're going and they didn't make sense where they were and then when they got out and walked through the gates into the house in the backyard it was almost a, it was almost an acre um 
it changed everyone's mind. What your neighbors think when busloads would pull up the people? Um, well, up. I had great neighbors in the cul-de-sac. I'll say. But that's why I ended up moving because the city of North, I mean, city of Little Rock was trying to prevent me from having tours. And the funny thing was there were Little Rock tours. But but anyhow, because, you know, it's a residential neighborhood. So when I bought the Edgemont house, that was a concern of mine and the neighbors. And we're very conscientious of the neighbors and parking. But the city of North Little Rock had a emergency legislative meeting and voted uh, into law that anyone in North Little Rock that has a historical home with certain regulations can open it up for tours. Did they do that because of you? I think that was a big influence. I'm so glad you saved this house. Tell everybody how many square feet it is. It is. I enclose parts of it. It's almost 8,000 square feet. Can you imagine taking care of an 8,000 square foot home? (laughs) How many bathrooms does it have? Six. Bedrooms? Uh, It has four upstairs. The outside, when the house was built, there was no such thing as landscaping. No, it was just a hedge against the front of the house. If people had crepe myrtle uh, or had a crepe myrtle or had uh, azaleas in their front yard, it was like, oh, look at the azaleas. Today. It's pretty packed They're <laughs> but it, it's it's t- you know, people call it the north little rock botanical garden because <laughs> you know it really technically i got every type of plant you can imagine so you do tours yeah you do um you do weddings we do lots of weddings how do people find out about it um word of mouth now of course we advertise and stuff like that you got a website yeah it's the edgemonthouse.com edge the the edgemonthouse.com i recommend go there take his virtual tour It'll blow you away. I can't wait to come to a party there sometime. If I wanted to get a landscape design from your team, what's the first thing I would do? I am the only landscape designer at Botanica Gardens. So you just call Botanica Gardens, and it's a free appointment, and I come out and meet you, and we just go from there. Out of all the stuff you do, which seems like way too much to make money at, which one does is your most profitable? Uh, landscaping. Uh, the design? Uh, installation the of installation mm-hmm. of landscaping you got a great team get in there and get it done mm-hmm. we have just enough time in this edition of up in your business with carrie mccoy for another part of a conversation with janet carson there are three great horticulturalists. horticulture this word is messes me it, up. it hurts a lot of people <laughs> it's horticulturalist in the state of arkansas there's peon smith there's janet carson you and then there's olson Chris Olson. Chris Olson. There's a lot of them. There's, there's not just the three of us. There's but a lot of those great Those are three pretty famous, nationally famous people right here in Arkansas. Are we? Are you competitive? I'm competitive in a lot of things, but I don't compete with Chris or, or Alan, either one, as far as everybody has their own thing. I was government. I was extension. And I wasn't trying to go national. And I'm still not trying to go national. I mean, I was on national committees and national boards. And I think Arkansas Master Gardeners are known nationally because we've held two international events. And I would say they're two very successful Master Gardener events. Um, But they have their own venue. In fact, my least favorite thing, which both of them love, is TV. I hate TV. I mean, I've done it for a long, long time. But you spend a lot of time doing even a 30-minute segment. 
and then if you're not watching it at that minute now today it's a whole lot different than it was when i started tv but my very first tv gig was four year garden do you remember all the four years for mm-hmm. channel four mm-hmm. there was four year money four year health four year i was janet carson janet beerman carson four year garden mm-hmm. and i mean it was a 30 minute i mean a 30 segment 30 second segment every saturday at the six o'clock news and we spent a half a day i'd have to find the location do the spot go back and do the voiceover and then they would edit it and back then if you didn't see it you didn't see you it. it and now they can at least you know capture them and you can go back to the site and you could rewatch it mm-hmm. but back then you couldn't so it was a lot of work for a small segment i thought so what's everybody should everybody be doing right now watch for pests you know insects are starting to come in harvest your vegetables as they ripen if you have not pruned anything that blooms in the spring because all of those plants set their flower buds in august september and october i think everybody prunes wrong oh and pruning is you know if you said i'm going to have a talk on pruning or i'm gonna have a talk on flowers everybody's going to go to the flowers but everybody needs the pruning because, because that's they prune hard. the flowers away. Well, if you prune at the wrong time, you're usually not going to kill the plant, but you might lose the reason you planted it, the flowers. You might lose the reason you planted it. Husband Grady, are you listening now? <laughs> because he always wants to prune when it's starting to really grow and get really big. He wants to go out there and prune it. And I'm like, it's doing its thing right now you can't prune now well he could have been one of my callers years ago this gentleman called on the radio show and he said janet my wife's favorite flowers are hydrangeas and he said for her birthday or anniversary or something years ago i planted a whole row of them he said they have never bloomed Mm. and he said all the neighbors bloom but ours don't and he said if you can't tell me how to make them bloom i'm taking them out i said when do you prune them he said, I cut those dead sticks to the ground every winter. Ooh. Well, they have the flowers already in them. I said, don't prune them this year, and you'll have flowers. When do you prune them? Well, if they need it, you do it as the flowers start to fade. So as they start to fade, if they're too large, you take out older canes at the soil line. You don't give them a haircut because uh. they have multiple stems coming from the ground. It's not one trunk that supports the whole thing. Don't you think that's a good rule for everything that blooms? Trim it as they start to fade. If you always do that, won't you be safe? Well, I mean, if you trim the azalea, no, be well, safe. Well, no, because hydrangeas and gardenias are the exception to the rule. And even in the realm of hydrangeas, we're talking about only the big leaf hydrangeas, which are the pink and blue ones, or the oak leaf hydrangeas. So, oak leaf hydrangeas, big leaf, and gardenias bloom in the summer, but they turn around and set flower buds in the fall. Crepe myrtles, roses, Rose of Sharon, all of those summer bloomers, they typically bloom on the new growth. So we can prune all of those in February before they start growing. But you could safely prune everything. I wouldn't recommend pruning crepe myrtles and roses and all of that in the fall as their flowers are fading at the end of the season. And the reason for that is they can have winter damage and if you prune them as much as you need to you might shock them well not that but you've exposed them so let's say we have a really cold winter you've taken their buffer off there's nothing to protect them so you could lose the plants to the ground should you rake your leaves in the winter in the fall or do they protect everything no it depends if you have a lot of oak trees and they're big leaves and you don't rake it's going to smother what's underneath it. It actually forms such a dense mat that it doesn't allow oxygen in well, keeps water out, and so that's not good for them. Now, I tend to use my mower and rake the, you know, kind of just mow and 
crush them up. And as long as you can still see grass or you can still see through them, it's fine. So mulch your leaves is the best option. Yes. If you have huge, heavy old leaves and you put them out there over your perennials or, and you're going to kill them. And then in the summer, you have to go in and rake those out, right? Well, what I do is I have a leaf sucker upper thing and it sucks the leaves up and it turns it into mulch. And then I can put that right back as mulch. But in the winter. Even in the, but in the summer when it's time for your grass and everything to start growing, now, not do on you... grass. I don't mulch my lawn, oh, but I do what, oh. mulch my vegetables. I mulch my flowers, my shrubs. I think er, that's one of the best things you can do in Arkansas. It cuts down on how often you have to water because it retains moisture. It modifies that soil temperature, and it helps to keep the weeds at bay. So don't let your oak leaves bunch up around your bushes necessarily, which is what I do. Well, big trees and shrubs, it's not going to be a huge issue. But if you have a heavy layer, you are it's going to be tougher to get water through. I have a fig tree in a pot, and it's got a layer of leaves in there. And I'm having a hard time getting the water through. I mean, so I'm pulling them back and so shredding them up. Everybody has got to get on and read In the Garden 2010. Janet, so that they can figure out exactly when to do everything because we could talk forever about this. That's it for this springtime gardening edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy featuring Janet Carson and Chris Olson. The most interesting interview program and podcast on the radio today. We hope our listeners have heard or learned something that's been inspiring or that it's been or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select Radio Show, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal? To help you live the American dream.